He came to his own, speaking of the Jewish nation. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. Thanks for joining us at The Hope of Our Calling. Let's get started in our study of First Peter. Hi there, and welcome back to Hope of Our Calling. We have been in the epistle of First Peter. We are in chapter 2, and last week we were studying about the classifications that God was calling us to. He called us a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that we would show forth the praises of him who called us out of the darkness into his marvelous light. Now we were supposed to continue on to verse 10, which declared which in times past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. So what I'd like to do is continue on from last week's study. But before we do that, there's a few things that I, I want to re- recover that we, we looked at both in the study of Peter and in past studies in Ephesians, because as I was preparing for this podcast and this study, there were so many things that were coming together. They were being tied together. Often I've declared that as we study God's Word, from Genesis to Revelation, go back to Genesis to Revelation. As my uh, pastor, Pastor Chuck, uh, had taught us, you find puzzle pieces and you see them coming together. And as you study God's Word, it's as if somebody hangs the cover box of the jigsaw puzzle for you. So you get to see what the full picture is, but you have to wait to discover the puzzle pieces to continue developing the picture before you. And in preparation this week, uh, a things, couple of things popped out at me, and I, and I just want to go through them with you and, and see if you're as blessed as I am. In the beginning of First Peter, we see that Peter, the apostle of Jesus, is speaking to those that have been scattered, those that perhaps were in Jerusalem originally when the Holy Spirit in tongues of fire on the day of Pentecost fell upon the disciples. And Peter gave that magnificent speech to the people in Jerusalem declaring that what they were hearing and what they were seeing was a work of God's Spirit. Because Jesus said that he had to go away, that another would come, a comforter and a guide into all truth, which is God's spirit being deposited within the hearts and the minds of everyone that puts their trust in the Lord. That's our promise. Peter goes on and he's talking to the the pilgrims or the sojourners. He calls them strangers because as we learned last week when the Bible declares when Peter was writing that we're a peculiar people, he was talking about a new 
breed of people. And I'm going to try to convey that to you today as we go through uh, a, quite a lot of, of scripture. So I hope you have your Bible in front of you. I call it biblical gymnastics. Um, and it's going to acquaint you much fuller with your with your Bible, your, your tool, your sword, um, which is good, which is very good. Anyway, Peter has gone along through the first chapter declaring how important it is that we know the scriptures so that we can, um, as he'll later declare, be prepared to give an answer for everyone that asks us regarding the hope that dwells within us. And that speaks to the word we had last week where it says that God called us out of the darkness and into the marvelous light that we might proclaim his glory. So Peter is exhorting that we need to be prepared, we need to be sober, we need to gird up our loins, we need to be obedient, we need to be holy. And then he goes on to say that, that we've been ordained before the foundation of the world. And as I think about that and I think about all of, all of scripture, I start to see a pattern. And that pattern is also declared in the scriptures that we were reading last week, where it says you are a chosen generation. Now, that word chosen is going to be one of the main things that we'll talk about today, because throughout history, God has been choosing people. And in fact, the vocabulary that we've been studying in these past uh, weeks, the being chosen and being holy and even being peculiar, they're found elsewhere in scripture. And what I'd like to do is start us off with Ephesians. So turn to Ephesians chapter 1, and we're going to start at verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Now remember, we talked about previously that we are a spiritual house and that God's Spirit is guiding us in these spiritual truths. All right, so we've been blessed with all spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Here it is, verse 4 in Ephesians 1. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. Now, we just read that in 1 Peter chapter 1. Having predestined us unto adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good will, good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory, and I want you to remember this, of his grace. I believe that this, this chosen generation that we are, are to be exhibiting his grace. Because the Old Testament saints exhibited his righteousness and his holiness. And throughout time, God has chosen specific people to reveal specific things about his character that the entirety of mankind from beginning on until the end will have declared everything about God that man needs to be without excuse in accepting him or rejecting him. 
And then we go on in Ephesians, down in uh, verse 10, it says, that in the dispensation of the fullness of time, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both in heaven and on earth. Do you hear that tone? God is doing all of this to gather together in one. Both the Old Testament saints of faith and the New Testament saints of grace of seeing the fulfillment of Scripture to each and every one of us that comes to the Lord and receives our giftings in order to operate in them that others might come as well. So both in heaven and on earth. Then if we drop down a little bit further and we look at verse 10, one of my favorite scriptures, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Everything that the Lord is doing has that that center nucleus point that everything surrounds Christ Jesus. God incarnate, who came to transfer all of our sins from our account onto Jesus, who paid them. And it is that action, that moment in time, that changes everything. Because once again, as in the very beginning when God was with Adam and Eve before they sinned, there was a unity of spirit. God's spirit dwelled within Adam and Eve. Remember, he breathed into him and he made him a living being. That was God's spirit. By Christ's death and resurrection and the profession of our faith in him, we once again are reborn in the spirit to be guided into all truth. We are his workmanship. And then further down, it says that he, in verse 16, that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross. Down to 19. Now, therefore, you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and the household of God, and are built upon the foundation. Here's the dialogue again about the stones and the living stones and being built up. You're built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are builded together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. I wanted to share that with you because everything comes together. When you trust and believe in the Lord and you do your devotions and you stay in his word, he is faithful. His spirit will declare his truth from beginning to end. Now, we talked about being chosen. In John chapter 15, verse 16, Jesus declared, You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. And then down in verse 19 of that same chapter, he said, I've chosen you out of this world. So now what I want to do is just kind of subsidize what I've just shared with you. Okay, let's go back to the beginning. The Lord created Adam and Eve. 
He blessed them. He gave them everything they needed. And even when they disobeyed him, he made provision for them. And he set the first standard. He sacrificed the life of a living being. He sacrificed a precious animal in order to cover their sin, to cover their nakedness, because they had no idea of nakedness prior to their disobedience. He covered their nakedness with a skin of an animal. So there is the first standard, that the wages of sin is death. Now we go on, and Adam and Eve gave birth to Cain and Abel. But Cain, in Genesis chapter 4, verse 3, it says, And in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground of the Lord. Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. The Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he, the Lord, did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. This is an example of, will you be obedient to the standard that I give you? But it's also an example of God's mercy. Because watch, verse 6. So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well... Sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you. But you should rule over it. So he's given mercy by declaring to Cain, Be careful. Be warned. Do not let your countenance fall. Look up. Trust in me. Obey me, and I will guide you into all truth. And then he warns him, And if you do not do well, Sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Throughout Scripture, we see the Lord telling us the blessing and telling us the cursing, warning us continually of the consequence of disobedience. It's like a prideful child who declares they know better than mom and dad. But mom and dad warn the child You'll get burned if you stick your finger in that flame. I'm sure many of us stuck our finger in the flame. But Cain's heart and attitude hardened. And he went out and he killed his brother. And there was consequence to that. Then there was Noah in Genesis 6. Humanity had gotten rotten. They were doing everything that was right in their eyes, thus being quite perverted. But in Genesis 6, 8, it says that Noah found grace in God's eyes. What we need to remember is that sin and perversion grieves the Lord. We were created unto holiness, and our sin breaks his heart. But God will always find those who seek after him. And Noah pleased God. He was far from being perfect, but he found favor in the Lord. Remember 1 John 1, nine. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's the attitude of our heart. And then even after the flood, 
people still did not hold true to seeking the Lord. And they again became perverted. They came together and started building this Tower of Babel, declaring that they were going to reach the heavens. So the Lord divided them. He divided their tongues and began the process of dividing nations, creating a people group. And out of that people group, he chose Abram. Our verse that we didn't finish last week declares in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 10, which in times past were not a people, but are now the people of God. All along, God has had a process. God has had a plan. And he will faithfully bring it to fruition. God's plan through Adam all the way to Abram was to bring forth a line of people that he would bring forth the Messiah. And before he brought the Messiah, he taught those people about righteousness and holiness and obedience. He gave them the law. He gave them the ordinances. And he asked for their obedience, declaring that in their obedience they would be blessed In their disobedience, they would be cursed, just as he spoke to Cain. God is picking a people for a specific reason. To declare his glory in all of its multiple facets. Turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 19, verse 5. This is the Lord declaring his desire for the Hebrew people. And he says, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people. And at verse 6 it goes on, And and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Does that sound familiar to you? Those were the words we studied last week when Peter was declaring to all believers in Yeshua HaMashiach, in Jesus Christ, the Christ, that we were a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. Now turn to Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6. The Lord again declares, For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the people on the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any people, for you were the least of all people. But because the Lord loves you, Because he would keep the oath he swore with your fathers, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage and from the hand of Pharaoh. This is Moses declaring to the people God's purpose of deliverance from Egypt. But again, notice 
For the Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. Now we're going to go back to Genesis. And we're going to look first at Genesis eighteen seventeen, where the Lord says, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I will do? God wants us to know him. He's been revealing himself from the very beginning. He is not, as the Bible says, a God afar off. Turn back to Genesis chapter 17, verse 5. God declares to Abram, Neither shall thy name any more be called Abram, but thy name shall be Abraham. For a father of many nations have I made thee. Not just a father of one nation, but a father of many nations have I made thee. Over in Genesis 26, verse 4, it declares, I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven. I will give to your descendants all these lands, speaking of Israel. And in your seed, here it is, in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. We are blessed Because the Messiah, Jesus, came through this very particular, very peculiar group of people who were chosen generation for that time to declare God's holiness and righteousness and call the nations out of the darkness and into obedience to the one true and living God as declared by his law and his ordinance. Thou shalt have no other God before me. And yet here in our passage in 1 Peter, starting at verse 9, he declares to us, to this new chosen generation, that he has chosen us to show forth the praises of him, or as some versions say, the excellence of of him. He has called us out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. There is no one that has an excuse for not seeing and receiving Christ. The only thing that is doing that is the pride of their hearts. They themselves want to exalt themselves above God which is the sin of Satan. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. When we acknowledge that God is God, and in the beginning God created, we can find rest because we understand there is one who has the answers. Yet there is also one who would seek to lie, steal, and destroy the future that you have as a royal priesthood, a holy nation unto the Lord. In John chapter 1, starting at verse 9, it says, 
the true light who gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, speaking of the Jewish nation. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. And as I said in the past, it's because he didn't fit their image of the Messiah. He fit the biblical image of the Messiah perfectly, the King of Kings and the Suffering Servant. Continuing in 1 John 1, verse 12. But to all who did receive him, to those whom believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of blood, nor of the desire of will of man, but born of God. In the beginning, God. We must acknowledge that. We must trust that. We must believe that God's plan is in the works right now. He has utilized specific people. He has utilized a specific group of people. He is still using a group of people. But there is a responsibility that comes with being chosen. That responsibility we can see once again in verse 11 of chapter 2. It says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, meaning this world is not our home. We're just passing through. We are new creations in Christ Jesus. We are strangers and pilgrims here on earth. It declares, Abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against your soul. That is the adversary of our soul, seeking to sow, sow doubt that we would forsake the holiness and the righteousness and the declarations of the Lord that we're chosen, adopted, redeemed, forgiven, that we are children of the Most High God and citizens of the kingdom of God, though here on earth. Paul exhorts us to fight a good fight of faith. In Ephesians, it declares that we must put on the helmet of salvation. And that helmet is God's word infused in our minds and in our hearts. He gives us the breastplate of righteousness that in his righteousness, as we walk and stand in it, the new heart that he has given us is protected. He gives us the belt of truth because truth is what holds us uprightly. He gives us the shoes of peace. Because we can stand in his peace now. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Come unto me, all ye that are heavy laden, and I will give you rest, declares the Lord. And then he gives us a shield of faith to quench every fiery dart of the enemy. That's our faith, our belief. We trust the Lord. We trust his word. We believe in the beginning God who knows all things and therefore is my wisest counselor. And he's given me that in his spirit. We have faith, fabulous adventures in trusting him. We trust him. And then we have that offensive weapon. 
We have the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And when we know the Word of God, when we've hidden it in our heart, we will not sin against Him when our faith is strong, when our relationship with the Lord is strong. Yes, we are a chosen generation, but we must represent Him accurately. We must seek His righteousness daily. We must feed on His Word daily. We must trust in His Spirit guiding us into all truth that He's given us. We must seek the Lord in all things, acknowledge Him so that He can direct our path, Proverbs 3 says. In verse 3 of 1 Peter chapter 2, it says, If you have tasted His graciousness, Psalm 34, 8 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And blessed is the man that trusts in him. Put your trust in the only one that is trustworthy, who declares these fabulous truths to you, that you are his workmanship. And that means his masterpiece. Matthew chapter 7 verse 8 declares, For everyone that asks receives, and he that seeks finds, and to him that knocks it shall be opened. Psalm 25 14 says, The secret of the Lord is with those who fear him, and he will show them his covenant. His commitment to us that cannot fail. It's not a contract that can be broken. It is a blood covenant sealed by the blood of Christ. Come, be chosen, be redeemed, be made not of the hands of man's works, but by God's Spirit. For more information about Kendra Martin and Hope of Our Calling, you can email her at kendramartinministries at gmail.com or visit the website at www.hopeofourcalling.org.